anyone who knows me knows that I'm an excellent dancer and I'm still very much down with the kids. So, I, you know, I'm sick of being stereotyped as a, as a melty middle-aged liberal like trying to hang with the cool kids because that's just... I think we're slowly saying that straight with this podcast Dan I mean well I just you know I wanted to go on the record now that's just want to do the record now hello and welcome to Media Democracy a podcast about politics the media and the politics of the media my name is Dan Hind, at Dan Hind on Twitter, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Tom Mills. Hello. And he can be found on Twitter at TA underscore Mills. We're brought to you by the Media Fund, and that makes it an extra special pleasure to be able to welcome this week to the show Thomas Barlow, co-founder and strategic director of the Media Fund. We're going to talk to him today about the Media Fund, about the context in which it's being launched, and how it's going to seek to address some of the issues we now face. So, Thomas, welcome to Media Democracy. Tell, tell our listeners first where they can find you on social media. Let's start with some, some details on, on how people can find out more about what the Media Fund is up to. Excellent. Well, yeah, you can, um, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the media fund and you can find us on twitter at the media fund and you can find us on medium the media fund uh and on soundcloud and itunes the media fund and that's which uh which hosts this podcast uh and you can find us on youtube as well and i think that's all of it oh and also obviously the website themediafund.org Brilliant. Everywhere. And, and yourself, uh, Thomas, where, where can people find you if they're interested in you, the human being? Ah, um, I'm not entirely sure whether many people would be, but uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at TBiles. I don't, I have to say, I'm not a big user of Twitter. I have, I have uh, other things to be doing um, than feeding the, uh, the sort of crack cocaine bear pit of journalism. Well, but, we'll just we'll put that implicit criticism of our lifestyles to one side, Thomas. <laughs> And um, and well, let's just just move smoothly on. Um, let's talk a bit about the the media environment in which we find ourselves, and as it were, the problem that the the media fund is looking to address. So, what what is it about current situation that made you feel that there needed to be some sort of intervention that looked like the media fund? Let's let's start with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it's an excellent question. I think it's important to situate. What we're doing in in both the contemporary you know context, but also an historical one, because independent media has always been important. From the pamphleteers that you know uh, brought about Protestant revolution and, and the various revolutions that swept Europe um, and, and literacy and uh, you know the chances and so forth, to the modern day. And I mean, when I was coming up in the scene, it was indie media, and um, you know that was a way that we'd get information about the world that we knew we could get elsewhere. And, and when the internet, you know, internet 1.0 was a lot more open, you didn't go in onto the internet through uh, one particular channel. And, you know, nowadays you'll go on through Google or Facebook or maybe Twitter or maybe YouTube and that's it. Those are your ways onto the internet. Um, before you, you'd find out stuff through, through open, uh, through the open web. And I feel like we need to rediscover that. But also I think, What's really important is to note that we have 
some huge global challenges which we are not at all equipped to discuss and to come up with evidence-based useful solutions with for um, and that's because of the failings in the, uh, of our media and the paucity of quality and accurate reporting and just sort of useful editorial decisions. I mean, we, we face, obviously, most importantly and quite clearly, catastrophic climate change, um, a crisis that's going to be caused by that within our lifetimes and is already, you know, ramping up right now as we speak. Um, we have the oncoming challenges of AI, automation, peak oil, soil erosion. I mean, not a lot of people are aware that we have around about 60 harvests left, which is about 20, 20 years left of, of harvests at this rate. So how are we going to sustain a living, um, you know, a population, global population? Antibiotic biotic resistance, which scientists are saying, again, within a decade, could uh, lead to the resurgence of deadly diseases on a, on a global scale, and also the genetic revolution. So these are all huge global challenges which are barely discussed, and when they are, not particularly in useful or um, solvable terms. And then obviously what you guys cover very well um, has been mostly looking at national problems. So we're aware that 70% of the press, more or less, is owned by five billionaires, that the BBC makes up 70% of the, uh, the TV news and radio news markets. Sure. And the sure. BBC has been quite weak, um, has always been quite weak around uh, the government and specifically often represents the government of the day's position, especially on foreign policy, but also in a lot of other areas as well. So these are not critical um, tools for which to... Uh, critique the powerful, but also provide us information that's useful to our everyday lives. These represent the interests of government or um, a very small uh, elite, uh, the billionaire elite and the, the multinational corporations and stuff. So we have those problems. We also have a problem in Britain where uh, Britain is falling down the Press Freedom Index. It's, it's fallen 12 uh, spots to 40th. It's, it's almost lowest in the developed world after uh, the US. And what we have is now the white, you know, um, what RSF, which is Reporters Sans Frontier or Reporters Without Borders, said that um, the UK's Investig Investigatory Powers Act is a, a possible death sentence for investigative journalism in Britain, owing to its lack of protection for whistleblowers, journalists and their sources, and it sets a damaging precedent for other countries to follow. And it basically means that journalists, investigative journalists and whistleblowers can be criminalised or even tried as, uh, as treasonous. So these are the challenges we face globally and nationally, and you discussed them brilliantly on the show prior to this. So. Um, into this, we need an independent media that can critique the powerful, that can provide useful information about the world, and can also, and, uh, and a lot of our media partners, uh, a couple of our media partners do this, push for better regulation for the existing media to become freer, more independent, and more useful to everyday people. You know, and so these are the things that this is the context within which we're working, and this is these are the challenges we need to take on, and it's more urgent you know, than ever it feels like to take this on. And there's more appetite for it as well. And that's a really interesting thing, you know, because trust in the press, in the media has never been lower. Um, uh, we've seen in certain quarters that it's, it's lower than either politicians or bankers. 
So if a politician or a banker, if people have more trust in politicians or bankers than they do journalists, then we're, we're in a difficult place as a civilization because how are we going to make decisions? How are we going to trust what we're learning about the world and how are we going to you know, move forward and, and make the right decisions? And so that's, yeah, these, these are the challenges. This is the context within which we said, okay, we need to really support independent media and create a functioning system for it. It can't just be people coming along and doing it uh, voluntarily for the love of it and then burning themselves out after two, three, five years. Yeah. Um, so they build up something fantastic and then it crashes. You know, That's the model with which independent media has worked pre prior to this. Um, and we need to change that. We need to have a systematic approach. And that means working together. That's how we do it. I'm glad, we, I'm glad we arrived at that, Thomas, because I was going to ask you actually is the, the next question of your reflections on some of the previous um, attempts to set up uh, independent media. Because as you said, like we've now got you know a, a few years of history now of um, activist groups and uh, trying to um, address some of the shortcomings, which are getting increasingly urgent, but which you know have been systemic for for some time. And so before we get on specifically to what it is you're trying to do with the media fund. Perhaps we could have some of your reflections on some of those earlier initiatives. Yeah. And these are more personal reflections than reflections of the media fund, I should make that clear, because, um, you know, what we're about is supporting what already exists. But it is important to learn uh, from the mistakes of the past. I think Indie Media was a really uh, important uh, sort of organisation and tool that came out of the Seattle WTO protests or uh, and just before that point it was sort of set up during the heyday of the anti-globalisation movement and it relied on a model of volunteerism um, and not only volunteerism but also sort of self-editing and self-monitoring and it was surprisingly uh, accurate and useful and well-maintained for quite a long time period of time but as we know and as the internet developed we've seen more anonymity in, in being able to post news and so forth led to and not not only those problems but most importantly volunteerism again i think you know after the student movement particularly sort of came under the microscope and as someone who volunteered on a lot of projects and, and always thought well we should we should work for free for what we love um i think that model uh specifically within Indie Media's case, was shown to be completely flawed. And people within it will tell you that. They'll also say that there's arguments, political arguments within the organisation, but, you know, those arguments are exacerbated when um, you do not have people who are, are capable of uh, doing this, in, uh, you know, as, outside of their spare time. They, you know, people need to be able to develop the skills to do it well, to be able to maintain those skills and to bring in new people into an organisation and manage volunteers, manage people positively um, and have the energy. What happens is, you know, the great activist uh, sort of trope is that we're all aware of is that people do something for a time until they burn out. Activism burnout is a really well-known phenomenon for those who've been involved in activism. And it's based on the fact that life just catches up with you. You've got to pay rent. You've got to get food. That means you've got to get a new job. You're doing a job along with three projects that you promised to do. You know, everyone else is a volunteer. Other people come and go because they don't have the time to commit to it. They can't do it properly um, either. And because life happens, you know, the key organisers, everything becomes burdened upon them. They burn out and or 
they disenfranchise the people that they're working with. They make it less democratic because they hold on to the, the reins of power because they lose trust in the people they're working with. The volunteerism, you can go back to a great essay by Joe Freeman, a feminist from the 70s, which is called The Tyranny of Structurelessness. And it's been charted for a very long time, you know, what happens in that arena. So I think that's one of the key problems. But what you've got is, I think if we look back to this recent election, you have organisations like Navarra Media, um, Real Media, uh, who, uh, Real Media had a reach of a million. I, I, I used to work for Real Media, so I can talk about that, uh, a million during the election. So they're a pretty small organisation. If you look at Navarra Media, uh, they must have had a reach of three to six million, the Canary even more so. Now the Canary has paid staff, but uh, Navarra Media doesn't. Navarra Media doesn't have uh, full-time paid people working on it. It relies on the goodwill of volunteers and it's done something amazing. But to maintain that, to pay for the technology, to pay for the studio space, to pay for the training, the equipment, um, and to ensure that you know presenters and uh, people who are working on the stuff don't have to leave at some point to do other things, to focus on other things, to pay the rent and pay food. We need to have something way more sustainable than what we've got at the moment because we had a raft of independent media organizations uh, who were either supporting or at least um, not openly hostile to the Labour Party. And they were the only media organisations that weren't openly hostile to the Labour Party. Every other media organisation, including Guardian, was openly hostile to the Labour Party. So, um, and I'm not saying this as a Labour supporter, but I'm saying as someone, because I'm not, um, but as someone who... Uh, recognises that we need to have a clear debate where people are given uh, accurate and useful information where we don't have a media that is openly hostile to a political project that is from outside of the current elite. We need to uh, support that independent media so that it can continue because what happens is it's an election in two, three years' time and all of those independent media organisations have had to collapse like so many cycles that have come before that where papers and magazines have come and gone. You know, we've seen that during the print era, that you'd have really famous magazines like, you know, feminist magazine like Oz, you know, or, um, uh, you know, or uh, like Do or Die, the, uh, actually that's still around the Earth Fair stuff, but, you know, magazines and papers, they come and go, publications come and go, they wax and wane, um, and this is because we don't use sustainable, consistent funding models. And also because we don't have any organisation that advocates for independent media that, you know, that says independent media is good in of itself. You know, if, if I'm working for real media, I can say, hey, independent media is really good. And people say, well, yeah, that's because you're working for it. But where's the organisation that's putting out the reports and telling people, you know, it's great, it's important. That's, that's something we need to tackle. Okay, so that's that's a really good sort of um, background on where where we are, and and the dangers of, as it were, of, of volunteerism. I think you know more generally on the left, there is this temptation to think that the new world is just around the corner, and we just need to, you know, give up sleep for a few weeks, and we'll get there, kind of thing. And then it turns out that it is, you know, the timetable isn't doesn't sort of reflect our own enthusiasm. So we need to see we need to see stru stable structures in place. And we need forms of material support for independent journalism that are in some senses independent themselves. 
And I want to talk to you really about how you specifically see the, me the role that the Media Fund plays in creating a, uh, a funding system for independent media that doesn't fall into the, as it were, the equal opposite pathology to structurelessness, which is kind of foundation funding and, and a kind of top-down approach. Yeah, where absolutely. I think, you know, yeah. where we've seen in the U US that a lot of the foundation funded, quote, alternative media have kind of have some have certain points just collapsed into, oh, we just got to get rid of the Republicans or we've just got to, you know, we've got to back Hillary right or wrong kind of thing and have actually become adjuncts of a fairly establishment agenda while trading on their their independent credentials. So what what's the what's the media fund doing what what role does it play which which cuts through these kind of equal and opposite problems yes you're right to highlight they they are the equal and opposite problems because a certain amount of volunteerism and sleepless nights is really good and it does create a great change and there's a certain amount of taking some money for some trust to get certain things rolling which is good to create change as well but um, when these become the sole means to do something, their flaws, as you pointed out, uh, become, you know, very obvious and they destroy either the credibility or the actual existence of the organisations that they, um, you know, that they were there to sort of make happen. So, you're, yeah, you're right, You've, we've got to tackle both those things and what we, so what, what the Media Fund is, is a multi-stakeholder cooperative. That means everyone who donates through it is a democratic owner of the uh, of the media organisation. A lot of this will be confirmed in our first AGM on the 1st of December, okay. where we will uh, rewritten our governance documents. No one cares about governance documents until you realise, oh, hey, actually, that's about how I get to control where my money goes, you know? And that's that's what we have been putting together since we founded. What? So actually, I should probably give you the story at some point. But, sure. Yeah. So just just on that on that issue of the, the, the sort of the AGM, on the first, yeah. as you say, the first of December. It is indeed, yeah. And where will that be, Thomas? It will be in London. At the moment, we're in discussions with an organisation, and I can't say who, who are looking to do a big event, and we are going to sort of do it as an adjunct to that and put it all as one big uh, positive media festival, you know, right. Um, right. And, and talk about it in London. Um, we like to do things outside of London. I'm personally based outside of London, and that's. Uh, where we've met, um, we've met, you know, originally in Manchester and Sheffield and other places, but um, uh, you know, in this case, it's just an opportunity to partner with an organisation that's doing something amazing in London. Sure. So yeah, we're going to be doing something there. I think yeah, one of the key things to answer your original question is we have to support democratic organisations uh, and organisations that are independent of both corporate control, but yes, also sort of ossified and reliant on state funding or old forms of trust. What we need is a dynamic system whereby everyday people fund independent media yeah. and have some control over that independent media. So they keep it fresh, keep it reacting to the needs and desires of everyday people who say, well, look, you need to report on fracking or climate change or, you know, on racism in uh, ethnic minority communities or whatever, you know, and um, we want you to set up a funding pot for this and we want you to help you to start new startup organisations that have this kind of agenda. That's, 
that's what we need. We need people to be directing it to keep it fresh as well as sustained, you know, to tackle those twin problems. Um, you know, without volunteerism and new energy, yeah. you, you don't get, uh, you, you, you get rather stayed. And you can see that there's certain publications that, yeah, that have become stayed, they've become set in their ways. And as you say, they become adjuncts of the establishment. Um, I mean, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? They, the, the danger is you, you, you achieve a certain level of stability, a certain sort of niche in the media market, and then you see your role as being, you know, you, you, you see yourself as having a certain role in, as it were, civil society. Um, yeah. And, and, and in a way, like, efforts by your readership or by outside people to say, well, actually, maybe you should be doing more of this or more of that, starts to seem kind of like static it's sort of like a dis, you know a disturbance and what you seem to be talking about is much more of a of a conversational relationship between audiences and media producers right so it's not just that you have hero journalists and columnists who pronounce but you have you like as you say the, the volunteerism to some extent needs to come from the audiences doesn't it it needs to come from people saying i can't give up my entire life to do this, but you should be aware that this is a story. Um, yeah. And we, you know, I'm willing to, with my, with my network, I'm willing to give, give a bit of support to you to look into this because I think it's important. Um, yeah. And that is a, that's a conversation which I think is incredibly fruitful is when, when audiences start to think of themselves as it were as co-producers. I mean, we are kind of all in this together, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. We are kind of all facing these crises that you talked about at the beginning. Um, so, tell, talk a bit more about about the about the as it were the ideal functionality. You mentioned there's a website. So, as the media fund progresses, will I be able to go on there and like give use it as a, as a funnel for supporting existing independent media producers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and but also, will I be able to, as it were, vote with my dollars and say, actually, it would be great to have some something done on this area? Is that is that the idea? Is a sort of a mixture yes. of, of ways of engaging with the the, the media production system? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll give you this sort of the, the the potted history as a way of telling you what it is that we're doing um, to to say that and, and just before that just on a previous point that you mentioned there is this sense there was this vogue for a time of uh, citizen journalism that we can all be the media and I think we should all own the media right. but there it is true to say that there are specialisms that need funding whether it's video production and audio production and editing to you know journalistic. Um, ethics and methods of accuracy, yeah. all of them, and, and just that people who do proper reporting deserve to be recompensed for their time. Any, anyone who does anything properly, anyone who does anything properly deserves to be recompensed for it. Until we live in a, a truly egalitarian, you know, Star Trek society where we can all just do what we wish because we want to, yeah. uh, until that point, people need to eat and, and, and have roofs over their heads. So we need to create that funding and, and um, and, you know, having, quote-unquote, citizen journalists uh, everywhere is part of the makeup of, of, of new media. 
but it can't be reliant on it because if nothing for nothing for no other reason, what you're seeing is you're seeing the established media parasitically use other people's free labour. Yeah. You're seeing that Google and Facebook as well. We're all content producers for Google and Facebook. We are doing work for them for free all the time, right. and not just their advertisers. We're producing content for them. I mean, if you read articles now in most of the major press, any of their online stuff, and you don't see tweets or Facebook posts, sure. you're surprised that the journalist has had that amount of time to actually produce something that's worthwhile. Um, you know, it's it's incredible. So, yes. Yeah, so that's you're saying we're, we're, yeah, we're sort of citizen content providers rather than citizen journalists at this point. And, and, and you're right, the extent to which people are producing important, as it were, journalistic content, they're overwhelmingly reliant on existing media um, to reach large audiences. Um, and, all, and also, I think there's this general point, isn't there, that like, if you're not paying for your media, someone else is. And whether it's like an oil-rich dynasty in the Middle East, or it's a bunch of venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, or it's the Russian state, or... Rupert Murdoch or whatever, these people they they're not producing it for your benefit, right? They're putting the money in for their own purposes. And I think again there's this sort of there's this temptation or this tendency to sort of infantilize people and say, you know what, you don't have to really think about who pays the bills. Just just enjoy the news. It's great, isn't it? And it's like actually no, you'd really you need to be paying for your news right now. Um, yeah. it's not it's not an extra. It's no. Uh, it's, it's, it's fundamental. Key, it? Everything else is dependent on it. There's a nice line actually in this article about um, press freedom, which is that, you know, without press freedom, all of the freedoms can fall down, are likely to fall down, you know. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's, I think that's really worth bearing in mind. I, you know, it, what, as someone who cared about the environment and anti racist campaigning uh, and worked on those things and, and globalization for a long time, I realized I was getting nowhere because for every, um, you know, single campaign victory we'd have, we were losing the overall strategic sort of war for, for people's minds and hearts and for the for changing the direction of society until we have a, a method by which we all as human beings can, can, uh, can communicate with each other uh, properly in a decent and, uh, and useful fashion. We're, we're in real problems because at the moment we just have an elite communicating at us and telling us what they need us to hear for them to continue. And again, when you're producing things on Twitter and that's getting used, they're not picking yourself or myself to quote in the indie or the uh, or in the mail online or what have you. They are, you know, creating disruption and discord instead of concord and, you know, sort of useful evaluation of problems and solutions to those problems, right? Because that's 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 how the system's set up, because they you know, they need us to be at each other all the time. So into this arena, steps the media fund, one part of, you know, a, a, a brilliant, I think, new media ecology in the UK that's that's really great, independent new media. Though there are some partners of ours like New Internationalists in the campaign for press and broadcasting freedom that are over forty years old. So sure. they you know, so there's some great established models there showing us what can be done. I mean, and I think they're fantastic organisations. Um, so, you know, I, I, yeah, um, yeah. Talking about what it is that we do, then we should do that. I should do talk about what we do. So, first of all, for you, the punter, from the first of October, you'll be able to go online and you'll be able to give 
um, a bit of cash, and you'll be able to put that cash either into project funding pots, right, which we will give out every time we reach around about 20 grand in the pot. We'll say, okay, vote on which pots you'd like it to go into. I don't know, environmental reporting, feminist reporting, investigative reporting, and we'll give you a selection of stuff. And, and that will mean you can direct where that, that money's going. Or if you don't want to put it into project funding, you can go the other way, or you can put a balance of the two um, into just spreading it between our, our media partners. We have 21 independent media partners, all of which meet our um, sort of core de uh, demands, which is to be... Uh, to be independent or, or not reliant on state or corporate funding, um, to abide by the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists Code of Conduct, and ideally to be unionised workplaces within 12 months of joining the media fund. We have 21 partners at the moment. We hope to expand by the AGM to around about 40, 40 partners that meet that. And again, that will be democratically decided by by the media partners who are already involved. And that's how we set up. We set up, you know, by by bringing together a coalition of people and, and voting on it and sort of deciding, mostly largely by consensus, you know, uh, what what our rules are and, and how you can get involved. So you can trust that the people we're supporting right. have good journalistic ethics and also have good financial ethics in terms of not being reliant on particular types of funding that keeps them independent and, and fighting for you. Across that, though, they represent a broad range of opinion and a broad range of styles of journalism. And some of them are not even journalistic producers, like the Campaign for Press and Broadcasting Freedom and the Media Reform Coalition are organisations that campaign on on uh, media rights and media freedoms and so forth. So we have a real range of organisations, some local, some national, some new media and video-based, some print publications, and that that will um, and, and that will hopefully only grow. So you'll be able to do that, and you, once you donate, you become a member of the fund, and that membership lasts for 12 months, and during that time, you have funding rights. Now, what we're going to try and do is encourage people to say, look, we think you should give a monthly donation. We think, yes, we can't all become journalists, we can't all produce stuff, uh, we'd like to direct it, but to make sure that we get information, as you say, that's not paid for by someone else, it's paid for by us, and therefore, uh, you know, represents something that's useful to us, that we care about. Um, we should give up an hour a month, you know, an hour at minimum wage is £7.50. If you can't give up that kind of time, a lot of us are very, uh, sure. you know, fiscally difficult, then maybe you can contact the media fund and say, look, I'm, you know, uh, I'm struggling to give money, but I'd like to give my time and we'll try and help hook you in uh, with different media organisations Say so you can volunteer in these ways as well. We want to really become a place where people can get involved and support independent media in whatever way possible. Now, all of these in, uh, independent media organisations have ways of funding them already. And first and foremost, if you like just one, go and support that just one immediately. But this way you can support a whole range and all the scene, and you can support different projects, different ways of funding media. So we can set up a, a startup fund, you know, for small independent media organisations or a fund for feminist organisations and so on and so yeah, forth. So yeah. that can be directed by you guys, you know. Now, we got the first, we did our crowdfunder last year in November. We uh, finished it by December. We got £10,000 in. We've been at work, but a lot of us have been doing it part-time and mostly for free. Uh, but we've really ratcheted it up now. We've got a new website team, Spotlight Studios. They're amazing. They're really great. Um, so the website's going to be ready to launch um, during the Conservative Party conference in Manchester, 
from the first of October. Do you know where you'll, um, you'll take away the oxygen of publicity from the Conservatives by doing that? <laughs> because this is a... It's a worry, isn't it? It's a venerable organisation that's fallen on hard times. And I frankly, I think you're kicking it while it's down. <laughs> I, um, uh, I, in, in an attempt to maintain some semblance of pretending to political neutrality, I won't comment on whether... I would like to kick it when it's down. No, 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 none of us. I'd also like to disassociate myself from Dan's comments. Well, all I've I've done is call the Conservative Party a venerable English organisation. With, with, I should add, vibrant Scottish, Welsh branches. And Um, also, um, a lot, some new social media initiatives. Yes, some very exciting. Thomas will be keeping has been keeping an eye on. Some very absolutely, and you know, if they can come to us and prove to us that they are not funded by corporations, billionaires, or the government, then uh, I'd I'd really be intrigued to see what. (laughs) And abide by the NUJ code of conduct, which I think is a real clincher there. I just can't see them doing it. Having said, I'm not sure that they're quite capable of doing it. They, they seem, quite frankly, so talentless and devoid of creativity or capability. I can't see them as a major threat as yet. Um, I think it's an elaborate. I think it's an elaborate bluff. I think somehow I think they're playing a very long game. Um, by being just incredibly incompetent and drawing us all in, and then they're going to suddenly turn around and go, "Ha! Ah, I got you. We were trolling you the whole time, and it's we're all going to look super, super silly, right? And we'll be like, "Oh no, they totally, they totally conned us into thinking yeah. they were idiots." I um, actually, I was away when all this stuff was kicking off. Um, for for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Activate is this sort of new conservative version of momentum which is going to be reviving the um the young conservatives the conservatives young um core base and uh i i i was sort of watching it from a distance not really figuring out what on earth was going on it's just it was very confusing yeah it was very confusing i think it's finished now isn't it it's activate dead i believe i mean and last time i checked they were they were kind of two there were two factions posting from the same twitter account to hilarious but isn't one effect. of them? Isn't one of them not actually them, or are none of them actually them? Anymore? I think one of them was continuity activate, and the other one was a provisional. <laughs> but then there was also like a. But they, they were there were people, as you say, they were like people pretending to be activate, who were just they were sheep in wolf's clothing or whatever you would call it. The whole thing was was it was all deeply upsetting for people like me because I ended up. T- like sharing a spoof interview with with them that Navarra put out, and I'd like to go on the record now saying that I, f- I found that I found that very awkward personally because it looked because <laughs> it looked like I was like an out of touch old idiot being triggered by spoofs, and it, and that's just anyone who knows me knows that's not true. Knows that I'm an excellent dancer, and I'm still very much down with the kids. So I, you know, I'm sick. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of being stereotyped. As a as a melty middle aged liberal, like trying to hang with the cool kids, because that's. Just... I think we're slowly saying that straight with this podcast, Dan. I mean, well, I just you know I wanted to go on the record now. Right? I just, just want to go on the record now. Um, good. So there is. Yeah, we, we, sorry, we we've covered a lot of serious stuff there. I'm glad you you brought that. Like, because a lot of the stuff about media funding is quite dry, isn't it? The thing is, it's and it's why we tend to leave it. it like as a scene as a set of people we're like yeah but we want the exciting sexy stuff having 
debates with people and going out and doing action and blah blah blah. And we're like, yeah, but does I mean who <laughs> who wants to who wants to do the finances? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like who, yeah. no no one wants to do that. And I mean we're trying to bring something sexy and attractive into it, which is that the second thing that we're trying to do is not just make it easy for people to fund and have control over funding, but is to become an organization that advocates for independent media. So you guys are a great example of that. We want to support podcasts, reports, videos, all of these will be coming out between October and December. What we're hoping to get is a thousand members between October and December, where we have loads of videos saying, look, this is why we need to spend money. We all need to pay for independent media. We all need to dip into our pockets and make it a regular uh, contribution to, you know, help save the world. And we're not giving it to some NGO or some charity, some overpaid bureaucrats somewhere. Trust me, no one is overpaid in our scene. You know, it's, uh, we're giving it to people who we can see the work they do. And if we don't like it, we can comment, we can send them emails, we can comment on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and wherever else we find them and speak directly to them pretty easily um, and, and sort of and voice our displeasure. But, you know, largely, by and large, we know they're doing a good job and we've got control over that and we need it. We need it now more than ever. I mean, we really are descending into... I mean, as Activate has shown us, it's two weeks of postmodernism gone wild. I just I, I completely lost track of what was real any longer. And, uh, uh, and I think a lot of us are feeling that about information in the modern age. So, well, I know, think you're, I mean, I think this, I mean, this is an important point, isn't it? That I think, you know, if you're not careful and you try and be, as it were, a responsible media consumer, um, you will find yourself believing in complete absurdities. Um, and part of the, you know, part of the, the liberation of the uh, of the general election, I think, was the population at large realizing that actually no, it was okay to like Jeremy Corbyn. It wasn't like a fringe weird thing to want to see like better public services, you know, a, a more you know a more you know closer regulation of, of of business and so on. Like the the agenda that he was proposing was presented in the mainstream for years. As being like borderline like fantasy politics, yeah. And then there yeah. was this sort of this moment of the vote where everyone was like, "Actually, no, it's all right. It's not. It's not that weird, right?" Um, and as you say, there there is, to some extent, this this uh, this was possible because there was this sort of emerging media ecosystem of people discussing things like Corbyn and Labour in a way that didn't buy into the Westminster. Oxbridge common sense about what politics is, what the limits of politics are, what politics is for, um, and yeah, I think if the if if the events of the last few months have shown us anything is that that the more effort, more material support we can give to these independent initiatives, the more our sense of what's necessary and possible will start to be shared and will start to become a political reality, and yeah, we we are you know we are running out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Not only what's necessary and possible, but also what's normal. I mean, it's very weird that you know I, I can't remember the exact numbers. It's it's well over fifty percent of journalists at top tier papers, at top national papers, are Oxbridge educated, and, and considerably more than that, privately educated. And this bizarre little clique of people who live in a very uh, secluded part of the world, who who only interact with other people who are very cut off from the rest of the world 
are the people who tell us what is normal and what isn't normal about the world. I mean, I honestly, and you know, what's great about the independent media is, uh, as far as I'm aware, I, I, I can't think of really, I, I, I certainly can't think of many, I can't think of any people from those, those backgrounds living in those particular areas, dealing with those people who are giving, giving us news about the world, giving us information about the world and trying to tell us what's normal. They're, they are all in different ways reflecting our experience of what, what is normal. You know, I come from Manchester and there's two great publications here, uh, Manchester Media and especially the Salford Star, which mm -hmm. has just been brilliant for so long. I was glad to see them getting quoted in Private Eye recently. They are really, you know, astonishing uh, journalists and hard workers for, you know, living in penury. And, uh, you know, and I just think, oh, well, I'm so glad they're representing what I understand about the world because, you know, uh, the MEN, the Manchester Evening News, isn't these yeah. are, these establishment. You know, they're they're doing the same thing within Manchester that the Nationals are doing in London. So yeah, what what is reality? You know, it's not what these guys think it is. And for once, we were able to. Yeah, this last election, I think, showed that we were able to go. Actually, I can share what I can share things that that other people have made. You know, people's reach, like Navarra and Real Media and others, yeah. Yeah. went through the roof. On the basis of people like, oh, finally I found something that I can share with other people where I can go, yeah, yeah no, but, the, you know, these guys are the ones who are talking sense. This is what I recognise, yeah. you know, I yeah. have to discuss over the dinner table what the Daily Mail printed recently or even what The Guardian printed recently and what, you know, and care about what their editorial line is as if it's a matter of national importance, you know. So and we are redefining what's, what's Interestingly real. as well, I think that really relatively modest investments in these in these new media operations could have massive effects in terms of their effectiveness and their reach because you know we are used to to a certain level a certain sort of professional sheen in media production right we look for certain a level of production values and yeah. it's not expensive to to achieve that level but it's not free either and, no, and, and it's the development of the skills that takes such time. It's that investment. Exactly. In, yeah. And that is extraordinarily expensive. And actually, it's not cheap because when you have to make videos on the latest uh, iMac or, or what have you, and you really have to, you need a £1,500 computer, yeah. you need a £2 computer, yeah. you need two, you know, it, even if you pirate software, which is actually usually useless, really you need, you know, 500 to £1,500 software for the video editing. You need sound recording equipment that costs 500 quid to a grand. Right? People do not realise this. They do not realise the cost of production, let alone your time and let alone the training, the research. You know, yeah. research is like one video. Uh, you know, and again, for the standards that I think the, the independent media and especially the new independent media holds itself to is very high. Yeah. It's incredibly high. The research that's done to make sure that people are factually accurate, that's extraordinarily time-consuming and requires a level of skill that's not necessarily easy to come by. You yeah. know, you either have yeah. to self-teach yeah. yourself or you've got it from elsewhere. Um, but you invest in that and you're paying for it, you know. Um, and your time is, yeah. you know, yeah. I think I think personally people's time does deserve to be recompensed and there's a lot of it that goes into it. So it is actually a far more expensive business than anyone realises and anyone wants to wants to think about because it's just something that pops up on your Facebook feed every now and again. You go, oh, that's interesting, and you tell people about it. And you and no one ever thinks about the people behind the scenes except for the people who are doing it. And it's only it, the independent media scene in the UK is made up of 
maybe 40 or 50 you know, journalists, maybe maybe a little more than that, but you know, not much more. It's it's absolutely tiny. Yeah. There's a really interesting book by a guy called Patrick Chalmers called Forecast News, which I think is a terrible t- title, but he's a, it's a really good book. And in it, he outlines, he says, if everyone in the UK paid a pound a year into an independent media fund, we could hire 8,000 journalists and 4,000 researchers. You know, imagine if we had... 8,000 journalists on the side of the people. Look at what we can do with 50, with no funding, doing it in basically their spare time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's incredible. Uh, And I I I think think the... um, Sorry, Tom. The point... Sorry, Dan. Um, I think the point you make about volunteerism is is really important. It's kind of a curious thing that, you know, the the independent media scene, um, much of which, you know, is coming from the left don't seem to have the sort of attention you'd expect to the kind of just material realities of producing and labor you know these really basic kind of central things to left-wing political economy all of that stuff just gets completely ignored in this kind of voluntarist culture you've been describing and you know i I, i'm really glad that that you raised that because it was the kind of conclusion that we reached when i was involved in new left project which was a um a political alternative political website that we ran you know completely on voluntarist labor the, the conclusion we reached in the end was that you need to have material support for this kind of work. And I think a couple of things I would add to that, I mean, one of which is the, the question of expertise as well. So, you know, not just technological expertise, but also, you know, journalists who have um, developed particular beats, let's say, um, will develop networks of contacts and understanding of institutions mm. and so on. Mm. That actually becomes their level of, uh, you know, a, a genuine expertise in understanding and reporting that, that you and I wouldn't have, you mm-hmm. know. And, and that's something that needs to be supported and fostered. And I think the other thing I would add is that um, one of the reasons why it's important that we that we we're able to support these kind of things materially, again, is to make um, the alternative media, if you still wanted to call it that, or independent media, more representative of the populations we're trying to serve, partly because um, people who come from middle-class and more affluent backgrounds have um, certain advantages and be able to sort of navigate and sustain the sort of voluntaristic work which, which you've been describing, you know. And the danger, of course, is that um, if you survive on a sort of voluntarist model, that certain geographical or class advantages mean will, will shape the kind of people in, involved in the work, and so that's another thing I think which is which is quite important to to, to be considering. Right. If we're going to promote, if actually be serious about promoting diversity, um, then we need to make sure that, as you say, people with no other means of support can can gain material sustenance from the work that they do. And the other thing I would stress as well now uh, is, is that we do have. Um, there is a political project afoot uh, in the shape of Corbyn's Labour, which is which is which aims at improving the conditions of most people in the country, and I would say most people listening to this this podcast. Again, the chances of that them their success, and therefore our chances of material improvement, are intimately connected to the vigour and the reach of the independent media sector. So if you just want to think like a, like a plutocrat for a second, right? the reason they make their investments in the political process is because they, they secure material advantage from doing so. If you want to see more affordable social housing, paying a pound a month for independent media is a, is a rational material move to make at this point. Um, because it's not that, you know, I think one of the, one of the tantalising things about this current moment 
is that the people in control of the Labour Party are not in the business of succumbing to a neoliberal logic at the first possible opportunity. These people really do want to change this country. And they're, as I say, their practical chances of doing so are inextricably linked to the vigour of the independent media sector. Now, I would just leave it there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and not only that themselves, but also the cooperative sector and the trade union sector specifically. You know, two sectors that will build community cohesion, will build those houses, will uh, build greater wealth mm-hmm. for everyday people in this in this country and maybe globally, hopefully, as well, um, are also inextricably linked with the pardon my mispronunciation, with the uh, strength of the independent media. Because um, despite, uh, you know, outside of the mirror, the trade unions have no voice in the national mm. discussion. Mm. And it is even less of one. Yet, we and um, they are, the trade unions are growing weaker in terms of numbers and numbers of strike dates um, in recordable fashion every year, year on year. And it's been a consistent downfall. Um uh, because they don't have methods through which to communicate the importance of people working together, you know. And so, again, their, their health, their vibrancy, mm. it's only going to be secured through an independent media because there is never, because none of the established media is ever going to be on their side and um, ever going to put forward a case for their existence. In fact, they're openly going to attack them mm. almost in every instance mm. all the time, you know. If they ever let them on, mostly they will shut them out of any discussion. But if they bring them in, it's to ridicule them and to destroy them and to destroy people's belief and faith in them as organisational methods for creating change. You know, that's that's what those uh, organisations, media organisations exist for, is to destroy the trade union movement. Um, so it does it does seem that a wiser investment of communication department money would be into independent media uh, and, and trying to communicate with people that way, mm. especially these, these very underfunded small organisations are actually very agile and very good at communicating not only with large audiences mm. but targeted audiences very well. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities there for anyone who's in those large organisations, be it a political party, large cooperative, or a large trade union, or even a small trade union, to mm. really make a rational investment in their own future as organisations mm. in their own mm. strength. Mm. And us as people, though, as you say, it, there couldn't be a more rational place to put your money right now um, to build the strength of uh, your own strength, your your you know your capacity to survive and thrive. The best place to put money right now is in media. You're not it's solidarity. It's not charity. You're doing it for yourself and for everyone around you as much as you are uh, doing it because you think it's a nice thing to do. This this is common sense this is logical cold hard common sense but also emotionally you know i think it's fantastic there's a lot to get behind as well there's a lot to enjoy from independent media um, and just coming back to actually to tom's point about developing patches and uh, stuff like that again i i have to mention the sort of start there's a lot of amazing again if you look at real media and they started off with real fair that you know they had whistleblowers from within hsbc and rbs and they do financial news that you don't see elsewhere you know, 
Um, but uh, and also originally they had whistleblowers from within the Department of Work and Pensions and around welfare rights again, which you didn't see elsewhere, and that's amazing. So they have a network of contacts that they, if only they had the money, they would report on a lot more. Um, uh, and uh, you know, the Salford Star have a decade's worth of articles and investigative knowledge about. Peel Holdings, who are the largest landowners in the Northwest, own the land that the BBC is built on in Salford. Who Yay, BBC! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and uh, who owns several of the towers that, after Grenfell, have been found to be covered in the same material as Grenfell. You know, and again, who broke that? Not the MEN, the Salford Star. They're the only people who are reporting on it, the only people who knew who to ask, yeah. the only people who knew people in those towers so they could talk to people directly, as well as experts in those fields. Now, that I know uh, the people working there and that they live on absolutely nothing. And at any point, their project could have collapsed and all of that knowledge collapsed with them. Scares me because if they don't do it, who's going to? We, you know, and so like, yeah, I've, I've, as I've got older, I've gone for the less sexy work and I've realised, oh, you know, actually, if I, but if I don't just want to, you know, I, 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 if I want to make significant real change, this is where I can do it, helping build this organisation and helping you know, build the method by which we can create true, useful, significant change for all of us that will make us all better off um, and hopefully slightly happier and, 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 and better informed people as well. So that, you know, that's why, that's why we're doing the Media Fund. Hopefully so that's a good idea. Thomas, shall we, shall we wrap up by saying what can people do right now to um, support or get involved in, in the Media Fund then at this stage? Well, first and foremost, you can message us on any of those social media platforms I talked about before. You can find us on all of those, or you can email me at admin at themediafund.org. Um, and you can say, oh, I'd like to help out. We are looking specifically for a series of interns who are going to help us put together a crack um, team of fundraisers uh, called the Tiger, Tiger Swans Team. That's what we're going to call it uh, for reasons that are not worth going into here. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love volunteers in that regard or connections, contacts, suggestions on who we should be uh, promoting, trying to invite in. Um, maybe you have contacts in trade unions or cooperatives or funding organisations, you know, or you just want to support, you want to become part of the social media team, get in touch, we'd love for you to help. From the 1st of October, you'll be able to donate. And what I'd like you to do is like the, the Facebook page and the Twitter and share what we put out from the 1st of October to 1st of December and not just share it but actively ask your friends look put in some money put in some real money put in a fiver a month into this you know put 750 a month put in a minimum wage one hour a month into this organization become a member you know encourage your friends don't just share stuff chat to them we know that's what worked during the elections we know that's what will work now so if you can help out those ways that'd be amazing you can also find us at the World Transformed, we're going to be at that, uh, which is the uh, Momentum sort of fringe festival at the, the Labour Party conference. Um, we're going to be at the Conservative Party conference, support, uh, sponsoring and supporting a People's Assembly live stream of several of their events there. We're also going to be at the Rain Dance Festival, which is the sort of um, London-based Sundance Festival uh, for independent uh, filmmakers, and we're going to be supporting that, and we're going to be sponsoring that. We're going to be offering, by the way, there's a raffle there. We're going to be offering uh, training with experts in social media and project management. Um, 
uh, and, and helping people start their own organizations. So you can get in touch there. Um, yes, and you could, yeah, really help us out uh, at the launch on the 1st of October and keep your eyes peeled for details on the AGM the 1st of December because there's going to be a great event. So those are all the things. There's loads of stuff there. But, you know, get in touch. If you can't remember all of that stuff, just get in touch with us and follow us and just keep your eyes peeled. Fantastic. Well, that just about covers everything we needed to talk to today. Thank you so much, Thomas, for, for joining us. Tom and I will be with you again next week. Look out for Media Democracy. Excellent. Goodbye.